My wife is bringing me a cup of coffee and a shot of co uh, espresso right now. So uh, it's like a shot of what? Yeah. Well, you know, that'd be good too. Thank you. That would be, uh, you know, later, maybe later today. <laughs> right on. I like it. So what's been going on, man? Nothing much. About today? Well, it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting day in the uh, make more, keep more show as it always is. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, nothing much going on to answer your questions. It's a busy week. But I thought this week would be fun. Last week, we talked about uh, taxes. We talked about that Wall Street Journal article about the potential for IRS budgets and increases. And I believe since we talked about that, that is now a thing. It went through. It went yeah. through. So then I saw, uh, it was funny, I was thinking, uh, so you posted that thing about like a stadium with how many uh, people it held and how that still wouldn't hold all the, uh, the new auditors. And I saw you got flagged. <laughs> By flag for misinformation. Yes, flag like, for mis for misleading, potentially misleading information is what you got flagged for. So, where was the lie? I know exactly. Well, well. So I'll I'll lead off this time and say welcome to the Make More Keep More show. I'm Dominic Cummins. Uh, that is Ron Carruthers over there sipping at his espresso, or at least he's saying it's espresso. So we'll see. As the show progresses, we'll all know. Uh, and uh, what we talk about on this show is all things money. So obviously making more of it and keeping more of it, which is pretty key, uh, how to avoid things like IRS audits. So if you missed last week's show, that's actually a must watch, I think, or a must listen, I suppose would be more accurate. Uh, I think, Ron, you weren't able to post it, right? Because something went down on your Instagram. So you weren't able to my salvage Instagram, that one. I got, kicked, I got kicked off my Instagram. In fact. Oh, did it happen again? Boom. There we go. There we go. No, what happened was. I have a virtual, um, I have a virtual, um, whatever you call it, VPN. Mm. So anyway, I think it switched over and to another server. And so Instagram thought shenanigans were going on. So it just kicked me off. Take the show. I was actually locked out of Instagram yeah. for like three days. So um, we got it worked out, but it was it was a weird deal. So that show, if you have it, great. If not, it is gone forever. No, I have it. So I recorded it separately. So I actually uh, record the audio for these. So that's that's just a good look at you setting up the the next uh, reminder. So we have if you go to makemorekeepmoreshow.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, you can find all the back episodes. So that one is loaded up. And what we talked about, why I think it's an interesting one for everybody here is just kind of, I, I thought it was interesting because I think like most of us, I'm not a tax professional. That's not my background. Uh, that's that's Ron's, right? And and it, I think for me, I've been through an audit and I fear audits uh, because <laughs> my experience was so bad. And, and you know, we're actually, you're helping me finalize the last of it from a 2000 and what was it? 2009, I think I got audited. And we're still dealing with some of the remnants of it. Now, a lot of screw ups. I didn't have Ron in my life back. Well, I have Ron in my life, but not as my tax professional back then. And, and there's a lot of things that just went seriously wrong with that going through a divorce at the same time, all sorts of stuff that went down. But I thought it was interesting last week, because we talked about it, like not to fear that. So um, we'll just make sure you go back and listen to that episode. If you didn't catch it, it was a it was a good one. But this week, what we thought we'd focus on more is a little bit more of the make more side of things. And I had some fun things happen this week. I've also been working with you on one of your businesses on some of the marketing aspects of marketing the business. Um, we actually had a pretty successful week as far as I can tell from from uh, the Duceris, the college planning side of the business, uh, or, or one of your businesses uh, with with some of the marketing campaigns that went through and did pretty well, lots of registrations for tomorrow's event and things. So I thought this week would be kind of fun to talk about marketing for your business, the make more side of it, what are some things that are working that we're seeing? What are some things to avoid? What are the things that I see that really challenge businesses that you see as well? So if you guys have any question on those, feel free to shoot them into the comments and we will absolutely answer some questions if you've got anything. Before we jump on to that, yep. let me just point out one thing quickly about the IRS thing, because that did go through. They are, they've authorized basically, and I've had some really over on Twitter, unintelligent comments. <laughs> um, and, and some really great ones, but you know, it's Twitter. What, what are you going to do? But um, one of the things was like, oh, well, it's just, you know, to replace agents who retire. No, that's an existing budget. You know, 
there's currently 81,000-ish employees that work for the IRS. This is more than doubling their size. Someone else wrote, well, don't you want more people to answer the phone at the IRS? Yes, I do. We said we actually pay a service to jump the line. Um, it's not even jumping the line. We basically pay a service to wait in line for us so we can get through faster because right. we're calling them all the time. Now, Congress gets their pennies all in a bunch about this. You know, oh, well, that's not fair. And it's like, look, it's your freaking agency. Why should we have to wait on hold for three hours? You know, and a capitalist came up with a solution. And so anyway, it is going to increase audits dramatically. We will spend another show dedicated to this. Yep. Although at the end of the day, the principles are still the same. Right. Use legal strategies to pay the least amount possible. Don't be afraid of an audit. We're gonna, I'm going to have two videos going up and a couple of blog posts on how to avoid an audit, number one. And number two is what to do if you're actually audited. And there's a difference between crisply handling something. And let me just give you an idea. We saved the client five figures in tax penalties yesterday. Client was out of his mind, like just gone, totally wiped out. But in the phone call to him, we had to tell the person on the other end of the line and show them the code that allowed them to do it. So it's not just that they're hiring 87,000 people over the next few years. It's that they've got to train them and they currently don't train them. So a lot of the IRS agents don't even know the laws and the, and the penalties. And look, there's some great people working there, you know, like any federal agency, but um, we'll be chatting about it more in a future thing. But the first thing before you get a big tax problem you know, is you got to make a bunch of money first. And so Dominic, <laughs> take it away. I'm going to look up our stats, by the way, for this, uh, for this event and see how those numbers are coming along. Yeah. So, that was a, you know, it's a funny statement. I remember years ago, I think I may have told this a story, like one of our early episodes, but I used to have this, uh, client, um, and actually it was one of my first clients, uh, ever. And, uh, why he trusted me. I got my I get my brokerage licenses at 19. I think I got my series seven. I think I was 19. So I mean, I was a child, right? So I got my and this guy, ultimately, within the next year or two had invested about $10 million worth, of, you know, in, with me. And I, I still look back at that and go like, I can't believe that guy trusted me with it. But thankfully, he did gave me my start, right? But it was interesting. I remember talking to him one time. And I'm, of course, I was so naive at the time uh, about this whole topic of taxes and everything. And I just thought like, oh, it's terrible to pay taxes. And one of the forms, you know how it is for finance, like when you get into, uh, we were doing some institutional level investing. So you have to fill in a lot of forms about his, right. I don't know if it's still that way. But at the time, you had to fill all these forms out about what qualified him, how much assets, what is this? And it was his tax burdens was part of the question. Like, what, what is he paying? And I want to say it was like that last year, he was like just under seven figures or, you know, something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous amount of money that he had paid. And I was like, oh, man, you're just getting killed. And I remember at the time and he said, no, nah, that's not how I look at it. And I go, well, what do you mean? I, and he goes, I make a lot of money. So I pay some taxes. And I, he goes, you know, and he's like, so I'm pretty blessed to be able to make the money that I make from the ventures that I have. And yeah, I owe a piece of it back. And he goes, trust me. And I remember him saying, and I knew you at the time. And again, we were more, you know, socializing over football games and bars than we were about taxes. But it was, which is probably still true. Uh, but we, th that was one of the things that he he said, just like, look, I do everything I can legally to pay as little as I can. But at some point, when you make enough money, you pay taxes. So I think that attitude is a, is a decent one to have. Pay the, the least amount that you can by legal means. But then let's go out there and make some money. And if you end up with a tax problem because of it, well, it's not necessarily that big of a problem, right? I mean, you really going to make some money. So one of the things uh, you're, you're pulling up some of those things, you know, for, for folks out there, when you're marketing your business a few weeks ago, again, past episode, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. We had a, a lady on named Sam Garcia, uh, who's a great guest for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, if you're uh you know, I think we had to put the uh, adult or we got flagged for adult language on that one. So if you're easily offended, you're probably not our audience. Uh, but go back and, and watch that one because she really goes into some stuff on social media. But I thought it was interesting just to talk about this. You know, Ron and I are working on some things from a marketing perspective. Uh, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of those. So 
One of the big mistakes that I'm seeing, and, I, and I've seen this recently a lot, and, and uh, judging by some of the folks that I saw join on, uh, they know that I talk about this a lot, which is the whole like try it once and think it doesn't work thing. And in fact, I saw an episode of, of a uh, video from Gary Vaynerchuk like yesterday or something again that was like, he goes, I mean, I get people all the time who go, oh, I want to have an Instagram following like yours, but I just can't. I can't seem to get it going. He goes, I look at your profile and you posted three times in six weeks. What were you expecting? Like, you know, <laughs> and 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 he was like, if I want to get started on TikTok, I can't remember what he said. I think it was four posts a day just to get started on TikTok. And so I think that's one of the things that it's not just doing it once, but it's really the consistency of of what we're we're doing. And I was thinking about that with like, you know, workshops and such and and you know, encouraging people like live workshops are coming back a lot with the COVID kind of, I won't say yeah. going away, but we did one, we did one last night. Right. How many ended up attending on that one? Um, we had 87 reserved. We had about 22 bodies there, which would normally be terrible, but we found out afterwards. Um, and we should have known better. There is a farmer's market right mm. across the street. That is absolutely insane. That uses all the same parking. So for my own workshop, I parked four blocks away. Oh, jeez! And was late. I wasn't the one teaching it, but I was late because circling for parking and then finally finding it and then having to hike down. So we had a, um, it was our first live workshop in ages. So we had a definite couple of bumps in the road. And it was in a library where that was closing, but it was in the community room next door. But if you didn't know the area, I didn't. I had to sit there and look up on my on my own freaking workshop. It was like your hometown to see where it was. And again, we didn't think to put a sign up, you know, like college workshop over here and stuff like that. So we'll fix that. But I think that's a great example of what goes wrong. I remember the first time that I hosted a workshop. So this is, again, pre-COVID. But again, for those of you who have businesses where you're like in some form of service-based business, where you want to show something, provide some value, which is a huge part of your marketing efforts, is like, what kind of value can you bring people? Workshops are a really great way to do that, in my opinion. And they're coming back. Like, people are okay well, with also, showing up. And they're also great because you can test in real time. Yes how your message is received. It's kind of like, I grew up in West Side LA, so I grew up around a lot of people in the movie business. And it's weird the way movie people uh, get up to all sorts of shenanigans when they're not in, when they're not filming a movie. And part of it is because they get no feedback until the movie's released often a year or two later, as opposed to theater people who can get, and musicians who get instant feedback on whether a song's great, Right. terrible whether a comedian whether a joke hits or bombs whereas in a movie you're not getting that feedback so a live workshop is great because you can literally look at their faces and if people are getting up and walking out of the room that's generally not a good sign nobody did last night by the way that's a that's a good thing and, and uh big ed killed it pretty great well and that and that's such a great example of it you you hear all these stories of like really great stand-up comedians even like the jerry seinfelds of the world and and all these guys that would actually literally go to some tiny little club nobody's ever heard of or you know some little thing and then go test new material before they go play the gardens like because yep. they didn't want to go there and and bomb at msg right so that that is uh you know one of those really great examples and so workshops allow you to do that but i was thinking about it you know when you think about it like think about all that went wrong you had 25% show up rate like there's part of people who could go and that's 22 bodies which is for you know as probably some husband and wife teams in there and and so it kind of reduces some of the numbers and you start thinking about it and you're like oh man that event sucked and maybe i won't do that again let me try something else but the reality is you've been in business long enough to know like, yeah, it was a bump in the road. We learned a couple of things. Let's move on to the next one. I remember my first workshop uh, that I did when I started up my mastermind. First workshop I did was probably like October, September of 2019 or so. Nobody showed up. It was like, it was just me on the workshop. Now, thankfully it was, it was, a, it was a digital workshop. So, you know, like I did it online and, you know, Zoom kind of thing. So like it wasn't as embarrassing as it would have been. But my second one, three people showed up. And then my third one, I think, was probably half a dozen. And then the fourth one, we sold out. Like standing room only, had to go to a bigger room. 
And but you know, you just got to keep going on it. So I think when it comes to like anything that's an effort for your business, if you're running it again, running any sort of marketing efforts or social media or any of that stuff is the first one, two, three times probably don't mean anything. In fact, I've told this story a lot, but maybe not on this, this forum, but I started posting these little things for, for a while. For about two years, I ran something called the, uh, uh, the mashup. I just ran like the, my weekly mashup. And I would just do this short video. It was one minute long. And I did it for about two years. It took me 27, 22 weeks before the first person responded to it, which is, and I love him, was my brother-in-law who was like, dude, I watch your videos. They're really good. And I love him. Good brother-in-law. He is. And I, but I love him, but he's not a client. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to become a client. Like it wasn't good feedback. Week 27, I'm talking to some guy who's huge on YouTube, like tens of thousands of followers and all this stuff. stuff. And he's like, uh, He's like, yeah, yeah, man, I saw one of your videos. They're really good. That was like week 27. Still not a buyer, but I was like, wow, I didn't know anybody was watching it. In fact, I told him that at the time. I said, I don't think anybody's watching any of these videos. And he was like, well, why? Because I was like, because I don't get any likes and all that stuff. And he goes, it doesn't even matter. He goes, let me ask you something. We were actually standing outside about ready to go speak at Digital Marketer. The two of us were both speakers for that event. But it was a small little event. It was There was only 25 people in the room. And he goes... Hey, did you turn them down because there's only 25 people in the room? And I was like, no, of course not. He goes, yeah, you love being here, right? Like you're super stoked to get on stage. And I was like, absolutely. He goes, why is that any different if only 25 people watched your video? And I was like, hmm, <laughs> right? And he goes, how many watches are you getting? And at the time I was like, well, I get, you know, like 300. So he goes, so how excited would you be to speak in a room full of 300 people? And I was like, well, I'd be stoked. And he's like, so what difference does it make? So he kept me going, interestingly enough, because I was getting ready to kind of just cut it off because I was like, dude, this is not going anywhere. Week 32, uh, somebody calls me and says, hey, man, I like your content. Actually, I'd known him. I'd done work with him in the past. He calls me up and he said, I'd like you to fly out to Miami. I want to re-engage. And, you know, since that time period, I've closed just under a million dollars worth of business just from those videos on LinkedIn. So I think, you know, you think about how much now could I've done some things that would have made it work better in the first 22 weeks. Sure. I definitely learned a lot of little mistakes and dumb things I was doing. But even then, even if I'd cut all those off, maybe what week, week 20, week 15 before somebody said anything. So I think keeping your marketing efforts is is uh, a, a really critical, really critical aspect. What have you seen like when it comes to like your marketing? And I mean, how many failed things have you tried over the years that have just bombed? Um, look, I'll tell you guys a great story. I was recording daily videos to Facebook and we were getting nothing. Like only my friends were watching it. And I did it long enough to realize this isn't working out. I ran into a guy on Twitter who um, we were chatting because we knew, I know uh, a guy named Nelson Nash. In fact, someone asked an IUL question in there, which stands for Index Universal Life, which I'm going to get to in a moment. And then we'll get back on topic. But Dominic Nelson Nash was a mentor to me and this other guy. He kind of taught the idea of using properly structured cash value life insurance as your own, as a bank and using it to fund your own projects because of the tax savings and the growth potential and things like that. And if it's done correctly, works great. Um, so anyway, so someone had done something on Twitter to this guy. And so we ended up jumping on a phone call. Like he posted something about Nelson Nash. And I'm like, hey, man, I know Nelson. Like I was actually friends with him. And we had dinner at Nobu one night in Vegas. We had to carry him out, which was pretty good. He was like 70 something. I'm nice. partying like a 21 year old. And anyway, here's the point on all this. He's telling me like, yeah, we sell courses based on his information on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cute. Like, how many of those have you sold? And he's like, 740 or 720, whatever. It was over 700, less than 750. And I'm driving at the time, and we're having a conversation. I'm like, what'd you say? He goes, 720. And I'm like, wait. And I'm like, car, whoo, pulled over the side of the road. Stopped the car. I'm like, what did you just say? And he, now he thinks I'm stupid, right? Like, I said, 720. Over what time period? He's like, oh, like the last 10 months. And I'm like, what'd you spend in advertising for that? He goes, nothing. I just post stuff on Twitter. And I'm like, I need to know what you know. Mm -hmm. So for us, one medium 
was not working. Facebook. Now we can advertise on Facebook all day long and we've done great with that. But as far as pure organic traffic and um, getting people to show up and respond to what we do, not only did was Twitter where we killed it, but it wasn't the college message about getting money for college because on Twitter they were like, that's dumb. You know, college is a waste of time. But the minute I started talking about taxes and mortgages and things like that, all my, my comments would blow up and everything would blow up. So on the one hand, you don't want to try one thing, give it up, turn around and try the next thing and move over somewhere else and quit bouncing around or put three posts and say it doesn't work. On the flip side of that, if one thing isn't getting traction, then you do want to test the same thing maybe in another venue and see if that works. Now, I didn't give up Facebook until I realized, okay, whatever I'm doing over here is not hitting with their algorithm, but what I'm doing over here is. So then I just moved my efforts over there. Then Twitter got stupid and started picking fights with the president of the United States and anybody they disagreed with. So then we began to branch out last year into Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And roughly I've been posting on Instagram for about a year now. But the point was we kept trying things until something worked. We didn't try one thing, give up. We kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. So that's my two cents. And I love that because I think that's, that's the other mistake people make is understanding who's your audience. Like what I see, and I saw this this week, I was actually having a conversation with somebody uh, this week, he may be listening, he'll know I'm talking about him, and then I'll hear about it. Uh, But he was, uh, one of the things I'm telling him is like, dude, stop going after every dollar, like every avenue. If you put the funnel so wide, like that you're trying to do like the old marketing funnel, you end up collecting a lot of garbage too. And it and it Get you, and you can get like this false positive type of thing. Like, well, I posted this one thing over here, and it it got some response. Okay, but that's not where your people are. Like, what kind of response right. did it get? Right. So, you know, and I'm sure that you had some followers on Facebook, and you had some people responding to not it. Not that many, <laughs> but you know what I mean. But like, there was some, and it makes you kind of like go look at it. But like your audience, when you think about Twitter, it's funny. Like, because I've dabbled in Twitter. Now I've never really gone after it full, but I, I don't feel like my audience is there on some of the stuff that I talk about. What's funny though, is I had always ignored Instagram until you started up. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, that seems weird. Cause I'd always really focus on LinkedIn and being where my audience LinkedIn was building. Your jam. Yeah. Well, yes. it has been up until recently when it's just the virtue signaling platform. And as long as you tell a sad story about how you were poor and now you're rich, you do really, really well. Like the CEO crying the other day because uh, he fired everybody oh, in his company. So that type of stuff, uh, which is not my jam. Uh, but then I found out like Instagram, shockingly, there's a lot of people on Instagram. And, and so then it's like, well, okay. And it's funny because that was the story I was telling in my head. I was like, well, Instagram is like all the 25-year-olds who don't care about anything about running a business. No, it turns out most of the people who are starting businesses right now are in that age group and they decide it's exactly where they're at. So it's kind of funny is thinking about your audience and thinking about where they're going to be and then just focusing that time in. And I, and I think that that's a lot of one one uh, client I have or I've had off and on over the years. Um, you know, he's he's a billionaire. He's done pretty well for himself. And his expression he loves to share is uh, ego is very expensive. So it's like that ego thing. It was ego talking that kept me off of Instagram for so long because I was like, nah, there's no way. That's, that's just not the platform. And I, I know what I'm talking about. I never even tried it. Like, how would I know? <laughs> you know, we would post a thing there once in a while because it was just another place to put it. But I was focusing all my attention on LinkedIn. And it granted, again, million dollars worth of business later. It, it was fine. But there is an opportunity. And then since that platform's changed, now we're switching over and doing more on Instagram than I am on LinkedIn. And, and that's not the same for everybody, but that is seeming to work much better for me. So I do think is, is, you know, get your ego out of the equation and just go where your audience is, find out where they are. And I think Dan Kennedy used to talk a lot about that. Like the ultimate, if it was Dan Kennedy who said like the ultimate goal is to figure out where you, your people are at the exact moment that they're thinking about buying something or something to that fact, just messed up that yeah. quote. But you talk about that. It, it's top of consciousness. There you go. So when someone comes and he would tell a story in his signature magnetic marketing talk of the plumber who comes out to check and tries to sell you water purification and this and that, and the idea of following up until 
so that you're the person that when they have that need, you're the first one that they pick up the phone and call. And it's through repetition. You know, you've talked about that in your stats before on sales Mm. where you're like, hey, man, you know, this many contacts, normally salespeople call this many times and they really need to be calling this many times. Well, you can do the same thing also through follow up. You know, we have a drip campaign for our clients. I'm editing a newsletter right now. And um, that goes out, I'd say, every other Friday. Um, I'll send videos to clients just explaining financial concepts and things like that and follow up, follow up, follow up until they either go from a four or five interest in what we do to a zero, like, please go away, don't come back, or to a 10, like, hey, I'm ready to do business with you guys. Right. And I'll even use that phrase sometimes. And I'm like, look, you know, if we're trying to decide on something complicated financial, whether they should or shouldn't, I'm like, great. My job is to get you to either end of the spectrum. Either I'm definitely not going to do it or I definitely am going to do it. It's not to have you hanging around in five or six land the entire time. By the way, for those of you just joining, since we are approaching the bottom of the hour, this is, in fact, the Make More, Keep More show. And uh, I'm Ron Carruthers. And that's Dominic Cummins of Real Biz Advisors. And we just chat about all things related to business and money and kind of whatever else is on our mind, whether it's watches, good scotch, <laughs> red wine, football coming up. I know, exciting. All sorts of things. So today we're focusing a little bit more on making it than necessarily keeping it, which was last week. One of the other things that Sam, our guest from a couple of weeks ago, by the way, just so you know, Dominic, two weeks from today, we have Dr. Jeff. Anzalone, Anzalone, I'm not really sure how to say it. Leave it at Dr. Jeff. Um, He's actually doing a podcast interview for a buddy of mine today in the real estate space. Dr. Jeff was the Dan Kennedy magnetic marketer. Uh, I think he was one of the marketer of the year finalists for 2011 or 2012. So he's a real interesting periodontist who puts together real estate syndicates for accredited investors. And, um, oh, by the way, you need to go, I told him you'd go follow him on, uh, YouTube, subscribe to his channel. So if you can do that when we're done, um, he's right at the thousand subscriber mark, you know, like two people short. So if you can take care of that, that'd be great. But one of the things that Sam Garcia said of the dirty alchemy when she was on, um, a couple of weeks ago, it was got to learn copywriting. She talked about being, you know, posting and how to put your posts up on social media. But at the end of the day, one really important skill, if you're going to be a business center is to understand the basics of good copywriting. Yes. And what is good copywriting? Good copywriting is salesmanship in print. What is salesmanship in print? It's basically conveying effectively conveying the value of what you do to the client. And so if you think about it like that, because we, we all have negative, you know, connotations of salespeople. If you think about it from the standpoint of, Hey, all I'm trying to do, for instance, with the college planning business, where we helped parents save tens of thousands of dollars a year on the cost of college, we need to be able to communicate that and get past their, their detectors of this is BS. I make too much money. My kid's not a straight-A student. They're not an athlete. My kid's not a minority. So we've had to work very hard to craft a compelling message to help parents realize, yes, you can make six figures. You don't have to have, you know, um, be Ethiopian refugees to qualify for aid. There are plenty of non-minority kids who qualify. Your kid doesn't have to be burning up the racetrack or whatever or a star basketball player. But the copywriting skills are what are really important and they're not that hard to learn, you know, and you don't need to be a 10 in copywriting. Um, you need to be a five or a six with a good niche. Right. So that's kind of my two cents on that. What are we talking about again today? (laughs) Making more money, (laughs) making more money. No, I think, you know, copywriting is one of those things that's like really under, under thought of And yet it's probably one of the more single handed, like, necessary skills to have as a business owner, especially when you're getting started and you have to do it all yourself. Now, when you get into the point where you can start hiring copywriters to work for you, but be prepared, those guys aren't cheap. 
you know, and, and, and they're worth it usually if they're really good. Um, sometimes they're not right. But, uh, you know, getting into that, like, well, and even if they are good or not, you won't know unless you, unless know, you know how, how to write it. Yep. Right. In the first place. Right. When I teach the college planning business, which I do to people, the number one thing, which I learned from the restaurant business is you learn everything. You learn how to edit next day. You learn how to determine if they're going to get in or not. You learn how to control financial aid. You learn how to fill out the forms. And then you get rid of all of that and outsource it because it's not your most effective time. But if your key edit, essay editor quits during essay editing season, <laughs> your life's going to suck for a little bit, but you know how to roll up your sleeves, bust the essays out and get to work. Right. Well, and, and, you know, one of the big things for, for copywriting that I've always liked and I try to teach as much as I can is like, just do an objection audit of some sort ahead of time, right? Think about what everybody is going to say that could be against what your offer is like, what, what are their big questions? Like, right. And, and I'm like, put a whiteboard up and write it down or use post-it notes. And just what are the things that people say? Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it's too, oh, I don't have any time for that. Oh, I don't have all that type of stuff. And then that becomes the framework for how you write good copy. And then also, by the way, great framework for your sales conversations, because then you can actually cover some of those things right off the bat. Like, what if you lead off the conversation? Now, I think a lot of people will say to me is that they don't have a lot of time. And I totally understand that. Let me talk a little bit about what the time commitment in this is. Like, you just get it right out, Solid. address it. And but the, a lot of that has to come from what you just talked about is knowing your audience and the niche or whatever. And you don't necessarily... I've never, well, I won't say I never had a niche when it comes to my own businesses. I guess I did for a while. I worked with a lot of marketing agencies, but you know, like it's not that specific. I tend to work with small business owners or people trying to transition out of their corporate job into, you know, side hustle to the main hustle kind of stuff. Like I work with those, but they could be in across any number of industries. So I'm not hung up on you being in a, a, a niche per se, as much as just knowing your person. And like getting down to the specifics, is it a 40 year old male or is it a 26 year old female? Like really specific. And when I go to these exercises with people, they're like, yeah, they're, um, what's your, you know, tell me a little bit about your audience. Well, I get men and women and they're between 26 and 50. Well, let me tell you, those are vastly different people, <laughs> like right. vastly different interests. Uh, just whether they're married and have kids or not will change their entire buyer behavior in just one little quick thing. And so it's, it's really important to, to, yeah, to learn that copywriting stuff and, and, uh, and, you know, get some form of idea of how to, because it's really just communicating people to, to get them to, to move to some form of action is really all you're but, doing. By the way, let me, let me jump in here. Mari, uh, Mara Love Soul asked a question very similar to that. Um, I'm going to tap the questions to answer so you guys can see it on the screen. And this will actually give Dominic a really good example of how we do this uh, in the real world. So one of the things that I recommend to my clients is for the majority of them, a good base to have outside of their 401k, outside of a brokerage account is a properly structured cash value life insurance. Okay, and we use something called index universal life where you get the upside of the market, not the downside. Now, there's a lot of people that have really strong opinions on that. One of them is Dave Ramsey. Sorry, it's covering your face, my man. Let's get that oh, out of there. Good. Good. I like it. And Dave Ramsey is like, it sucks. They're laughing at you. They're scamming you. It's a ripoff. All, all the Dave Ramsey stuff, which is a very simplistic to low IQ take on it because no, it's not, everything has flaws. But one of the things when I tried to prove to my friends 25 years ago that were using it, that they were wrong and I was right, it was a scam because I said the same thing, is I sat down and tried to prove it wrong. So now, after three years of trying to prove that it wasn't a viable strategy and having to admit that I was wrong, then I turn around and cover all of that with my clients right up front. Look, you've heard this. You've heard this. You've heard this. Let me show you, though, why people believe that. And then I will back it up if it's appropriate for the client with videos and articles and all sorts of things like that. By the way, with someone who's convinced that Dave Ramsey is right, there's a couple different ways you can you can reason with them. One, you can not even try. Right. Uh, because it's their money, let them do what they want with it. 
Um, but secondly, Dave Ramsey has a really good niche it's for people who are in debt, who need to get out of debt, and he has some really good strategies for doing that. Kind of like when someone needs to ride a bicycle with training wheels, eventually those training wheels need to come off. So once you're out of debt, then different strategies apply. Also, and this blows a lot of people's minds. Dominic, do you know what the median income is in this country? Meaning the 50, not the, uh, I can't even remember which one's which, but the middle 50% where the dividing line is, that half in the country make more than this and half make less. I don't know, maybe. Do you know that number? 50, 60,000, maybe? 44,000 okay, wow. a year. Household income, not individual income. Household income. And so, and by the way, to be in the top 1%, you need to make about 500,000. Uh, top 25%, about 87,000. Again, household income, two families. And so one of the things that we'll explain to families is, look, Dave Ramsey's strategies are great, but they are designed for lower income families, right. fixed income, lower income. The minute you move up out of that range, then now we turn around and we get into, you've got you're paying more tax liabilities. You're paying all sorts of things. So the benefits kick in there. If you want to DM me, by the way, about that, Mary Lipsell, go for it. We can have a conversation about it. I want to give you some of the resources that I have yeah. related to that. Well, but anyway, yeah. that just goes back to marketing, though. And again, right back to it. Now, again, we do lots of other things for our clients. So that's not the only thing. But the point is, this one is fairly controversial. So when we explain it, I cover, you've heard this, you've heard this, let me follow up with information because at the end of the day, we're, oh, you're, you're welcome. We're in the, I'm in the belief changing business, right? Whether it comes to, well, that's just what my tax situation is. You know, um, I'm stuck with it. I'm going to have to pay retail for college. My 401k is the greatest thing on the planet. We change people's beliefs on that in your world it's i can never leave my job and make my side hustle my main hustle you know my salespeople are always going to suck those are the things that you work on well and i love so, that i love that statement about being in the belief changing business i've never heard it that way and it's a really great comment because i do think that that's absolutely true for any of us that are in some form of service-based or, or advisory capacity, right? Like if we're helping people, we're likely changing their beliefs on something. And, and some of it's self-limiting beliefs you're changing out. Like, oh, I could, oh, I could never run a, a million dollar business. I mean, I don't, I don't have that kind of, well, yeah, you can, uh, you know, or, or whatever it, the, the, whatever the belief might be, we're in that piece of it. But I also think in order to do that, you have to pick your audience a little bit. I had, I had an interesting conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago who was interested in joining my group and we were talking through some stuff and, and he would have been a great fit. And then ultimately he's like, well, I talked to my wife and I think we're going to probably stay the course. And it reminded me of a state, mind you, his staying the course, he will never get what he's trying to get to, right? Like it's just not going to happen. But I, I was irritated at first. And then I re was reminded of that quote by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, where he says, change rarely occurs until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. There you so, go. When you think about that, I mean, it's such a powerful quote. When you, if somebody doesn't have that much pain in his current situation, so this guy wanted to spend a month in Spain, he was getting a little bit older, kind of wanted to dial his business back, but figure out how to make more money doing it. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. I can help you get another 200 grand a year in income and not, and take more vacations. Yes, it's kind of what I talk about, right? So if it, so we can get there, but it really, what, but then he was like, yeah, but, you know, these current, this current client, I mean, they take up a lot of my time, but they pay a lot of money. Well, bro, you're not going to get there. Like you're like, it's, you have, you don't have enough time to, to, they don't give you enough time. So the pain of staying the same wasn't that bad though, because they paid him well. And I think that's where you get into the, like, if somebody's entire belief is that Dave Ramsey is hundred percent right, which he is on certain topics. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, if you, if their belief is that there is no other way then the pain of staying the same is not enough to make them change. So why fight it? Like I was, I was doing some prep work for, for a presentation for my group this week. And I was reading the, the tale of Sisyphus, you know, the guy who was pushing the boulder up the hill. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what happens when you start talking to people who aren't your audience, right? It's, it's, it's not, um, we're, we're, they're telling us to be uh, easy on Dave. Never. It's not going to happen. Go not in this group. Oh, right. Uh, Dave's such a sweet, cuddly, you know, human being, and he's right. so nice. These freaking insurance agents, oh, they're vaccinating you. I remember the guy who was going to get a car payment once. Or, man, look, Dave's kind of an asshole. Let's just call it what it is. Um, and not kind of. He's kind of a majorly one. Like, we're nice, right? We're talking about him nicely. Give me a break. Go easy on Dave. Yeah. That guy, I remember a guy who talked out of going to medical school, like, oh, the dead is terrible. You can't take the debt. And it's like, even when he turns around and, uh, oh man, some guy he berated for 10 minutes because the guy didn't have a car. And he's like, well, I think I need to pay, you know, like $400. Do you realize you're going to die face down in a gutter? in a pool of your own vomit because you buy that car that's kind of dave's saying all right man enough about dave, enough okay. about dave. go easy on uh, dave but, never but... in a million years <laughs> susie by the way susie says a lot of the same stuff yeah susie orman yeah. she's just nice about it and so we don't have to go hard in the paint on susie she's kind of a sweetheart a little bit you she know, was but i couldn't stand in, in the early days of when I was in first got my licenses and stuff, I couldn't stand some of the stuff that she did. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, um, you know, there's well, at the end of the day, they're both entertainers. They are right? at the end of the day. They're I, and I mean, look, not that we're talking because hopefully this show's entertaining and informative, just like them. And, and I, you could argue all day long that you're jealous that we're jealous of Dave's audience, and I would a hundred percent agree for sure. But that still doesn't invalidate that some of the advice it is just not good once you're out of debt. Well, absolutely. Right. So yeah, going going like, back you know, to the pain of staying the same. I want to look on Twitter to make sure I'm still blocked by him. At Dave Ramsey. Hold on. <laughs> I love it. Uh, am I still blocked? Let's take a look. I am still blocked. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, so yeah, but again, you know, knowing your audience, right? Like, here's the thing, like, okay, not even picking on the Dave Ramsey, but and I, I think I think that whoever posted that was, you know, a little tongue in cheek and making a joke about it. But, but I think at the end of the day, like if, if that's part they of just the, wanted to see me, they just they wanted just to wanted see, to see you off. and, and lovely, like, <laughs> lovely CJP knows us and she went, Ramsey, yeah, like, <laughs> lovely CJP was like, don't get them started because she knows. Yeah. But no, I think that, that, you know, but think about that. That's a great example. If somebody absolutely thinks Dave Ramsey walks on water, they are not a good client for you. It's just that simple, right? I, I think there's there's people in my world that if they are just an absolute champion of that person that I'm like, yeah, we're probably not going to fit because I'm telling you, I don't, dis I don't agree with that type of stuff. And so I think not being afraid is a big deal. Like, Part of the reason you're so successful on social media is you're controversial. You just say your opinions. You don't really give a crap what anybody thinks. And you get the hate and you don't care. That's one of the, th I remember year, a couple years ago when I was doing all that content that I talked about earlier in the show, like week after week after week after week. So I'm sitting with Ryan Dice. Some, some of you may know him. And he was like, yeah, I watched some of your videos. And I was like, cool. I go, you know, like I was hesitant to ask him what he thought because, you know, obviously he has a huge following and pretty well known. And he goes, no, it's really good. He goes, it's just a little boring. And I was like, oh my God, the content or what? And he goes, no, I just think, actually, he didn't say that. He goes, you could be more interesting. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, dude, when I talk to you, <laughs> well, that's the same, same thing. thing, but it was nicer. <laughs> it was a better phrase. He is a good copywriter. Uh, so he, he said to me, he goes, you know, when I talk to you, you have opinions about everything, man. And he goes, you're not afraid when you're up on stage with us. Like, you're not afraid to like call out people in your industry. You're not afraid to like say your opinion. He goes, why don't you do that on videos? Now, the irony of that, the very next video I shot, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to post this. That's the one that prompted that guy to call me. And since that time, I've billed him for three, four hundred thousand dollars. So it works, right? There's an element of that. Be that controversial. Don't be afraid to have your opinions because your audience will find you. I remember there was this great interview. You you might remember back in the, the Howard's. Well, Howard Stern's still around, but when he was still on terrestrial radio, they used to play on on um, his terrestrial radio show. They used to play these street interviews and they were like, uh, 
interviewing people that were like, I hate Howard Stern. They're like, well, do you ever listen to him? They're like, yeah, all the time. And they're like, well, why do you, why do you listen? To, you hate him. Why do you listen to him? Because I just want to know what he's going to say next. And they were doing like statistics around it where like 60% of the people that hated him listened every day. That was actually, that was actually in the movie Private Parts yeah. uh, where Pig Vomit, Paul Giamatti, yep. was talking about the numbers. And by the way, that number is still true today. Yeah. If you go over on SiriusXM right next to each other, they have like one conservative radio talk show, talk show, Patriot. And then on one side of it, they have POTUS, which is pretty liberal. On the other side, they have Urban View, which is more, you know, urban view and then they have progressive and what's funny is if you look at the listenership numbers the listenership it's more liberals who listen to the conservative talk radio or there is a very high percentage just like there's a very high percentage that listen to uh of conservatives who listen to liberal talk radio you know for no other reason than to be frustrated at their opinions and to get irate over it so <laughs> it is okay to be controversial absolutely and and to just stick with it and and yeah you're gonna get some hate and i'll confess like when i'm really getting into social media and posting it like i don't love the hate so i have alessandra read all the posts first <laughs> like because i don't want to deal with it you know and but but you don't have to respond to everything i mean it's good to respond to a lot of the stuff but like sometimes when somebody really lays into you and just says something dumb just let it roll but it is it's interesting the controversial posts are ones that really get out there and but it's you got to be able to believe it and i think that's part of it and so like going back to the dave ramsey thing you believe in that and it's great for your brand to be banned by dave ramsey and the people who dig that are going to do business with you so don't be afraid to own it right so and that's 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 part of it i am not banned by dave ramsey but i do not like dave ramsey <laughs> I'm not banned by him because I don't say anything. Well, you got to try harder. I got to try harder. I've got now. I've got a goal. You got to pump those numbers up. Yeah, twenty. I got to get my yeah, my 2023 goal. Numbers. Yeah, 2023 uh, goal is to 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 get that out uh, there. Yeah, it's still a great movie, by the way, too. Uh, so back to marketing and copywriting. Yes. You know, um, one of the things is like you made some really good points here as we come down to the the kind of uh, the end of our time together for today. Um, don't be afraid to be controversial, but don't be controversial for no reason. Right. I have a very good reason for going, you know, against Dave Ramsey. He just, not only is he kind of a bully with, with his opinions, but he's wrong. He's just, the math does not support many of his ideas. Um, and so don't be shy about having because Dan Kennedy said something brilliant. And again, if you guys, you guys hear us talk about Dan, if you've never experienced as an entrepreneur, any of Dan's writings or podcasts or anything, you will probably fall in love almost immediately. Dan is the grumpy kind of walrusy looking guy who, who really spoke. Like for instance, when I first heard Dan, he spoke at an all-day success seminar with um, Tony Robbins. Joined it later, but it was like Zig Ziglar. If you guys are old enough to know, to know who Zig is, um, they'd get like Barbara Bush spoke that day. Jerry Spence spoke that day, and I realized this was like thirty years ago almost. But they were all, you know, Jerry Spence was the lawyer commenting on the OJ trial at the time. He was very famous. Barbara Bush, of course, had just been first lady, so she was pretty famous. Um, that a couple of baseball players and basically Dan was the guy that came, Tom Hopkins, famous sales trainer mm -hmm. spoke. Dan was the guy that came on at the end of the day after they sent all the corporate people home and it was just for the entrepreneurs and the audience and self-employed business owners. And that was Dan's audience. And that's who he spoke to. And he talked about going bankrupt twice. He talked about having massive problems with alcohol he's he's an alcoholic can't drink problems with diabetes coming from being an alcoholic and what he said was first of all he just as strongly as being for things as being what you're against and so he could talk to his audience because he knew the struggle of making payroll and having to shut a company down and prospecting and cold calling and how badly it all sucks and so his whole concept was hey if you learn marketing to attract clients to you, then you don't have to worry about doing cold calling to go find that. 
Right. Now look, you're new and, and young and in business, do it all. But he had a very specific niche and he had a very loyal group of people who supported him for years. And then Dan kind of dabbled in retirement. He would kind of retire and then he'd get bored with it and come back. So some of the OGs that were around him kind of wandered off because he just kind of, his heart wasn't in it quite as much. Although now he had a pretty serious health issue and now it looks like he's really back engaged in it. But the point of all that was corporate suits would hate this guy. But self-employed entrepreneurs and business owners and small business owners loved him because he was one of us and he spoke our language and he understood the frustrations. And Dave Ramsey has his audience and I have mine and you have yours. Right. So don't be afraid to speak to that. And one of the comments that he made, I don't know, can you guys hear the chickens out there like sounding like they're absolutely getting murdered? Okay, good. They shut the door. I'm inside because they're... Um, hedging the neighbor's yards again, but it absolutely sounds like a chicken massacre is going on out there. And I assure you they're fine. Awesome. <laughs> the inmates are very restless today, but his point was the more you repel away those you don't want, the more you'll be attracted to the people that you do want. Right. So anyway, <laughs> no, and I, and I think that like I talk to people again with business owners and stuff is, is when somebody like, criticizes something that's really interesting to you or something that you care about. I mean, it could be anything like if, if I see somebody, so I post pictures sometimes when I play, you know, golf and stuff. Cause I like golf. Like it's not your jam. Right. But like, no, I, it's not, and that's fine. Uh, but like I'll get people who write like, uh, what's, what's this golf post about or what the useless or something like that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> bye Felicia. Like, <laughs> I don't need you. I, that's like, okay. Because if, if you're not going to, and I had this like great comment from somebody one time. I was like, dude, I actually have had a few comments from other people who were like, oh man, this makes me so jealous. I got to figure out like, or they'll ask a question like, hey man, how do you get to where you can do this a couple of days a week? And I've had some nice PM conversations with somebody going like, well, this is how I do it. This is how I structure it. I did a post a couple of weeks ago or whatever about you know, how I use golf to like strategically invite people and, and who, who I'm going to spend four hours on a golf course. I met somebody awesome this week. I'm hoping to maybe get him on the show, uh, here soon, maybe, maybe for next season. Um, uh, but you know, like I met him on, you know, on a golf course and it, that was strategic to some degree, right? Like, and you do all that stuff. And so somebody wrote me a message and was like, yeah, how do you do that? Tell me more about that. And that to me, that like means that's the person I would probably much rather talk about because they like playing golf and that's something they're into. And it's, you know, right. versus the guy going like, this is useless. <laughs> okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> right. mm. Like, or, or somebody posted me like, well, that's what greedy people say. No. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm playing golf. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's just, you're not my, you're not my people and I'm not real worried about that. And that comes back to that. Like, why are you searching for every dollar? Like you don't right. have to take every dollar. You don't have to have a hundred percent close percentage. In fact, my contention is, is if you have a hundred percent close percentage, which I've never seen in real life, I've seen people say it, but never seen them be able to back it. Oh, if, if, yeah. it, if you're a hundred percent say it, my guess is you're also unhappy because you're taking way too many people that are not a fit for you and you're just not going to be happy as a business owner. I'd rather make money and, probably, and have fun. And you're probably way underpriced, which means oh, you're working a lot harder. Absolutely. You know. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw somebody do a content the other day of like, what if I sold you Lamborghinis for a thousand dollars? It would be an irresistible offer. And I'm sure that's not the point he was making, but I was like, and then you have every Tom, Dick and Harry that's buying a Lamborghini from you. And now you got a complete pain in the butt. Like it's like that to me just plus becomes all free, horrible. All the freeways are jammed up because they break, they're going to break down and clog all the freeways. <laughs> hey, they weren't really You can't talk about cars breaking down. You are not no, allowed. I, <laughs> that is not your topic. <laughs> the people want to so know, Ron, what's going on with your $45,000 engine replacement. So we're fighting with the warranty company right now. It looks like it's about to get approved. And now I will be waiting for an engine to get shipped from Germany. Oh. Uh, so I've had this um, loaner car six weeks, six weeks. And by the um, and then I will have probably have it another five or six weeks. So I don't think I'm going to get my car back until October. <laughs> and then, yeah, so, 
and and like I said, here's what's hilarious about that. I had two Jaguars before that. And if you added up 10 years of Jag ownership and all the money I've spent on Jags, and again, warranties covering this, but this Audi has cost me more in 24 months than two two Jags over a decade have. So I'm buying a Toyota Camry. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe I, you know what I'm going to get? I only go five miles to the office. I think I'm going to get me an electric bicycle. I'll probably have more luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and be, be, uh, rocking the uh, six pack abs after that. Yeah. There you go. So, Hey man, we're, we're about wrapping up here. For those of you that were just joining, this is the make more, keep more podcast show, whatever you want to call it. You can find it at make more, keep more back episodes particularly last week's episode where my phone decided to eat it at the last minute. So, um, but definitely we talk about all things, money, business taxes um, with occasionally anything else that amuses us in here. And um, I'm Ron Carruthers. That's Dominic Cummins of Real Biz Advisors. And um, so be sure to check it out. I think you guys will really enjoy some of the back episodes on there. Dom, do you have any final parting words for that? No, not really. That tickets, was, uh, oh, you did. Are, yeah, go ahead. Tickets are coming down for the Rams game. So I haven't pulled the trigger yet. We're going to the Rams game and it's my treat this time because Dominic has the Chargers season tickets and I refuse to give that little shit weasel Dean Spanos $1 of my money. Uh, but I'll go on Dominic's ticket. And, uh, you know, so for the record, anyway. though, sometimes since we talked about being controversial, sometimes controversial doesn't pay off. Last year, Ron and I had an opportunity. We didn't know it at the time. Uh, we one of it, my wife's cousins is is heavy into politics and in, in L.A. and super connected to like the owners of the Chargers and the various teams. And so we're riding in the limo up to the game, and Ron decides to get into this. The, the guy, my wife's cousin, asks him like, "What do you think about the Chargers?" He had no idea in Ron's defense, but he had, so he asked him, "What do you guys? What do you think about the Chargers?" And so. Ron decides to talk about burning jerseys and how much he hates Dean Spanos and gets this whole thing. Well, it turns out that Bennett managed to get us uninvited to go meet Antonio Gates, LaDamian Tomlinson, and a few other people because he was going up to go to the owner's box to meet a few people. So everybody else in the limo got invited but us. So sometimes controversial doesn't it's pay off. Fault. You <laughs> okay. didn't tell me who he was. Yeah, he's like, this guy, clearly a politician, comes strolling over to me, and I'm having a pregame proper Irish breakfast with a donut, <laughs> a whiskey, and a beer. And uh, he's like, so, you know, like, what does San Diego think about the Chargers now that they've left? And I'm like, yeah, man, like, screw them. Screw Dean Spanos and the horse he rode in on. I burned all my stuff. Everybody hates them. I hope he, you know, I, I hope he dies miserable and alone. And I hope that someday somebody buys the team and brings them back where they belong. And I promise you that if I have anything to do about that, that man or woman will never pay for their own drink as long as I'm alive. And uh, and there were a few other choice things I might have added in there about Dean Spanos's anatomy and uh, <laughs> how you know undersized certain things might be and how small his brain is and all sorts of stuff. And then later, Dominic's like, oh, hey, man, by the way, he's boys with Dean Spanos. And uh, he's kind of the one who helped grease the skid so they could move up here. And I'm like, yeah, that information would have been helpful about <laughs> half an hour ago. You know, he's family. So, anyway. so I don't think it, so. So you got support in the comments here. I see Victor backing you up on this yeah. one. And, and that's it's fair. Totally in all fairness, he's family. So you don't really think about that part of it. Um, I, I really just, you know, he's just another guy who drinks with us. So, but yes, uh, probably a little forewarning, but it's all good. Yeah, Maybe like, this season. Look, it's not like, had we gotten invited up to the suite to meet those guys, it's not like I would have behaved badly. No. But yeah, I answered. I told him the truth. <laughs> Nobody in San Diego likes Dean Spanos. I mean, even the people that still travel up to the game and pay for their tickets, they don't like him. Yep. And and it was a dumb move. He had a fan base down here. Yep. As bad as the Chargers sucked, 50,000 people would show up for the game. And yeah, 10, 10 to 15 of them would be the opposing team's fans, but you still had 35,000, 40,000 on a bad game at their worst that would show up for those games. Yep. And you are not getting that up in L.A. No. All right, man. Let's wrap this up. We'll do it again next week. Makemorekeepmoreshow.com. 
and um, we'll do it again, and uh, we'll likely have a guest. And then for sure, we got Dan Kennedy's Market of the Year guy two weeks from today. You guys will really like him. He's cool. Yeah. And um, that'll be good. We're working on a couple other guests too, and then uh, we'll be wrapping up the season probably right after the Rams opener, and uh, we'll wrap up this season, and then and then we've got a bunch of guests starting to get scheduled up for the second, the third season of for, the show, which yeah, is exciting. Winter 2022-23. Yep. All right, guys. Pleasure having you as always. Dominic, take care. I'll see you this weekend, and yep. we will do it again soon. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later.